0: Sherlock Holmes in the Black Dahlia, by Scott McQuaid. Produced by Pop-Up Theatre.
1: Some stories don't want to be told. No matter how hard you try to tell them, they fight back, and the ending is often never resolved. However, I'm obliged to apprise this story. I had arrived at the MGM Studios in West Hollywood in the morning. I immediately headed to stage 27 as instructed. I entered the building lot and an array of colourful lavish film sets stood before me. I noticed the iconic yellow brick road from the classic movie The Wizard of Oz. It was January the 15th, 1947 and the film industry was booming. I had a meeting with the actor, producer, writer, and director, Mr. Orson Welles.
2: Dr. Watson, I assume?
1: The theatrical presence that is Orson Welles emerged from behind the camera. Uh, Yes, I'm so pleased to meet you, Mr. Welles.
2: Welcome to Hollywood. It's a wonderful place if you're sober. (laughs) Uh,
1: What movie is this you're working on?
2: Oh, uh, it's called A Lady from Shanghai. It's a crime drama.
1: Oh, really? I must admit to being somewhat of a fan when it comes to the crime genre cinema.
2: Yes, well, I don't like cinema. Except when I shoot it. (laughs) Oh. How was your flight?
1: Uh, yes. I've never flown first class before. Uh, Thank you for that.
2: Well, it's the least we could do to get you two out here. So, uh, where is he?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Sherlock was feeling a little under the weather. Uh, perhaps the jet lag, so he couldn't make it. Uh, but I'm here. <laughs> After all, I am the author of all the Sherlock Holmes stories. Uh,
2: yes, that's uh, swell, Doctor, but I really need to meet the man, you know, for um, artistic vision.
1: Uh, perhaps we could arrange for another meeting tomorrow.
2: Tomorrow's a busy day. We're shooting the Hall of Mirrors scene. Um, what about uh, choose Excuse me, Mr. Watson.
1: Just then, Mr. Wells' production assistant, Dorian Bond, entered...
2: There's a phone call for you in the office.
1: Almost instantly, a sea of whispering commenced amongst the stagehands.
2: There's always something. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go, but um, leave your contact here with Dorian and uh, I'll be in touch.
1: I left my hotel information with the production assistant. I then watched as all the people on the movie set frantically conversed with shocked facial expressions and dramatic gestures as they disappeared from the studio lot. My introduction to Hollywood so far had been both brief and unproductive. The blinding studio lights suddenly went dark. A deafening silence hung in the air. I found myself alone and somewhat disoriented to which direction the exit may be. Then, suddenly, a silhouette of a tall, thin man appeared out of the shadows. Uh, Hello, Uh, who's that? Gradually, the figure came closer and closer. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest. His arm began to rise, and then...
0: Morning, Watson. Holmes, it's you. Your ability to state the obvious is astounding. You
1: said you weren't coming.
0: Correction, I've said I'm not coming to the meeting.
1: I see you're feeling better.
0: Yes, maybe it's the California sun.
1: Hmm. Or maybe because you knew the meeting would be over by now.
0: Well, I'm sure this factor certainly aided my recovery. Shall we get some brunch? I spotted a rather charming cafe just opposite the MGM studio.
1: As I sat across from my fellow companion, I knew that there was more to this impromptu brunch than Holmes was letting on. Sherlock... May I remind you that we haven't had any notable financial case in over a year. We're not exactly swimming in money. In fact, we're not even paddling in it. Then, as luck would have it, a Hollywood producer shows some interest in bringing my stories from
0: page to screen. All
1: you had to do was show your face. That's it!
0: That's never it, Watson. They will want to talk. And would that be so bad? Yes, it would. I have neither the time, attentiveness, nor self-restraint to entertain the plastic colony of Hollywood. Then why did you bother to come to Hollywood at all? I was bored. As you rightly noted, we had no cases. Exactly. That's
1: why... Wait a minute. Had no cases...
0: Indeed. There's no such thing as coincidence, for everything that happens is the result of a calculated move that leads us to where we are. <sighs> and where are we? We are in a position of employment that meets our financial despair while being given the opportunity to solve a murder.
1: Holmes, we've only been in the country for 24 hours and you're telling me we have a
0: case? Hired by police captain Jack Donohue, head of the LAPD homicide squad, he said my high profile as a world-renowned detective could shine a bigger spotlight on a case that lacks evidence and leads. As it turns out, there might be some benefits to you publishing your ridiculous stories of our escapades.
1: Oh, I'm glad you finally approve. <sighs> so, come on, what is it then?
0: Well, if you insist... This morning, Betty Bersinger was pushing her three-year-old daughter Anne in a stroller down the sidewalk on the vacant lot near Lemert Park. She was heading to a shoe repair shop when she paused. She noticed what she thought was a mannequin lying in the grass. But upon closer inspection, she discovered it was something much more disturbing: a naked, mutilated corpse severed into two pieces. The mother then grabbed her child and ran to a nearby house where she called the police.
1: This is horrific!
0: Yes, one could say. A fitting plot for a Hollywood movie.
1: Do we know who the woman
0: is? We do. The police sent her fingerprints to the FBI and they sent back a match within the hour. As it turns out, the victim was already in their system, having been arrested by the Santa Barbara police for underage drinking last year. The woman in question is one Elizabeth Short. Here. This is her mugshot. Hmm. Attractive woman. The body was discovered four hours ago and there has already been reprints of today's newspaper with a new byline that reads... ..victim of the werewolf killer.
1: Have you seen the body?
0: Of course. I went to the mortuary with Captain Donoghue.
1: How how did they know where to find you?
0: More to the point, how did they know I was even here?
1: Well, I might have set up an interview with KFMV Radio Station and they might have advertised their programming with you as a feature. The interview's tomorrow.
0: Watson, why do you continue to mock my work while subjecting me to the one thing I loathe with my entire bohemian soul? Which is? People! Yes,
1: of course, I keep forgetting. So you've come all the way downtown to tell me this.
0: Actually, no, I'm here following a lead. It just so happens this cafe is situated across the street from the MGM studio.
1: Wouldn't that be classed as a coincidence?
0: Must we go over this again?
1: What's the lead?
0: Very well. Elizabeth Short was 22 years old, an aspiring actress that left her home in Boston, Massachusetts two years ago to seek her dream in Hollywood. She's been in Los Angeles, living out of a suitcase, moving from one crummy apartment to another since she arrived. She got work as a hostess at the Hollywood Canteen.
1: Yes, I know it. It's a nightclub run by Betty Davis and John Garfield.
0: Thank you for that pointless background information, Watson. May I continue? Uh,
1: uh, please do.
0: Now, where was I?
1: The Hollywood Canteen.
0: Ah, oh, yes. Elizabeth took this job hoping to make connections in the Hollywood circuit. She met another struggling actress named Barbara Payton. Barbara took Elizabeth under her wing and brought her here, the Formosa Café. The two of them hung out here regularly, hoping for a chance to meet with one of the studio executives that eat here. After all, it is directly opposite the MGM studio. So you're hoping Barbara will come here on the off chance? (sighs) Watson, you exhaust me! like a battery pouring electricity into a non-conductor. I have the name and workplace of Barbara Payton, so with the assistance of the LAPD, I can and have secured her address. Ah, yes. So, we are here for what, exactly? We are here for the very same reason Elizabeth Short came here.
1: To meet Hollywood executives?
0: Precisely, particularly those that have heard the news of Elizabeth's passing. If we hear a Hollywood executive gossiping about her, it means she came here for an audition or screen test or something of that nature.
1: Actually, I think I can confirm that for you.
0: What? Explain.
1: Well, I didn't really have much of a meeting with Mr Wells just now. There was some kind of commotion and then he was whisked away. Lots of whispering on set. It was obvious that some news had broken out, but I assumed it was something related to the film, like an actor being fired or something. But then you enlightened me with this tragic event and I think it's related.
0: And I concur with your deduction. Come on, there's no use in sitting around here.
1: Where are we going? To the studio?
0: No, there's no point. If she did have contact with the studio, all evidence of a screen test would have been destroyed. Deniability will be their course of action as they will want to distance themselves from this murder. But why? Because due to the nature of this horrific high-profile murder and the lack of evidence, it means that anyone that came in contact with Elizabeth Short is a suspect. Hmm. So where to now? Elizabeth's friend, the struggling actress, Barbara Payton...
1: a cab and we headed further out of town on the fringes of Hollywood. We arrived at a rundown motel where we proceeded to Miss Payton's room. The door opened to reveal a woman dressed as the Egyptian Queen Cleopatra. Uh, Miss Payton?
3: Who wants to know?
1: I'm Dr. Watson, and this is my colleague Sherlock Holmes. We're consulting detectives working with the Los Angeles Police Department.
3: Your private eyes? In a
1: manner of speaking, yes.
3: I guess you better come in, then.
0: Miss Peyton, when did you last see Elizabeth Short?
3: He doesn't waste any time, does he? I like your funny little hat,
0: Mr. Holmes. Deflection with ridicule. These are masking indications of evident guilt. Does he always
3: talk like that? I'm afraid so, yes. Where are you boys from, anyways? London. That's a long way from Tinseltown. I haven't got long. I got a shoot at MGM at three. In answer to your question, last time I saw Elizabeth was six days ago at the Biltmore Hotel. And what was she doing there? She stays there sometimes, when she wants to hook up with her fella. Anyone in particular? She likes a man in uniform. But recently she was seeing a doctor... A doctor? Did you meet him? No, I only heard about him from her. And what did she say? Well, she said he was rich. Powerful, you know, the usual stuff. They met at his clinic. Was she ill? Well, she was. She never showed it. But that clinic does specialise in treating venereal diseases. It mainly works with the poor and African-American communities.
0: And where is this place?
3: It's the First Street Clinic. Downtown in Little Tokyo.
0: So you saw her with this doctor at the Biltmore
3: Hotel? No, I didn't see who it was. I just saw her getting picked up by a car outside the front.
0: Do you remember the make of the car? It was a black sedan. Hmm. How was Elizabeth's progress in her acting career?
3: (laughs) What career? She hasn't done anything.
0: Not
1: even an audition?
3: I think she did a screen test. That's about it.
1: For MGM Studios?
3: Maybe. I, I don't know.
1: Perhaps it's worth contacting the studio?
3: It's a waste of time, Watson.
0: Like I said, they will want to distance themselves from the victim. So I'm sure if they had any sort of film, it's likely been destroyed by now.
3: But the original's probably still intact. What do you mean? Well, You don't think Elizabeth was called into a studio for a screen test? No way. She had her own screen test made.
1: Do you know where she did this screen test?
3: Yeah, Larchmont Theatre at Melrose. It's owned by a guy called, um, Mark, um, Mark something. Anyway, he had fallen for Elizabeth in a big way, but she wasn't really into him. He said he knew people in Hollywood. I say he's full of shit. Anyway, he helped her shoot a screen test. It didn't matter, anyhow. Why not? Well, because she can't act. The girl's got no training, no experience, and she's just not dedicated enough.
1: Well, she moved to Hollywood, wouldn't you say that's dedication?
3: I'd say she was trying to escape her old life. Hollywood may be glitz and glamour up there on a movie screen, but you gotta do some pretty low things to get on that screen, and she wasn't willing to do it. The woman has morals. You think Marilyn Monroe got to where she did without visiting the casting couch. In some way or another, we all pay the price of fame.
0: Indeed, Hollywood is the one place where you could die of encouragement.
1: Holmes and I took a cab to Melrose Avenue, which is a shopping and dining district between Beverly Hills and West Hollywood. The Larch Mount Theatre was lavish in design. Its owner, Mark Hanson, was very much a fan of Hollywood movies, and this was obvious from the classic film posters that covered every inch of his office.
4: I met Beth last year, she liked to be called Beth. She stayed at my place from time to time. She was struggling, literally living from day to day, but she was generally optimistic. She wanted to be famous so much, and now she is. She's on every front page in the country, the Black Dahlia. Excuse me? Haven't you seen the newspapers? That's what they're calling her now,
1: see? The entire front page read Black Dahlia Killer in bold black and white print. Or wasn't there a movie called The Black Dahlia?
4: Ah, you're thinking about The Blue Dahlia, starring Veronica Lake.
1: Oh uh, yes, that's it. Perhaps this byline was inspired by the movie.
0: The label Black Dahlia the press has invented is attributed to the following factors. Elizabeth's fondness for black dresses, her dark hair, and the photo of her they keep reprinting in the paper where she is wearing two Dahlia flowers in her hair.
1: When did you last see her?
0: Well, I haven't seen her for almost two
4: weeks. But she did call me on the 8th of January. I remember because it's the day my projector broke down.
0: The 8th. That's one day before she went missing. Tell me, what did you and Elizabeth talk about? Nothing much. She was in San Diego at the
4: time. She asked if she had any phone calls from studios asking about her screen test. Then she said she'll be back tomorrow. Hmm, can we see this screen test? Yep, of course. I got it set up here in the 8mm.
1: As the projector illuminated the picture onto the screen, I was instantly mesmerized by the stunning, attractive woman staring back at me from the screen. She had a striking presence like Hollywood starlets Greta Garbo or Vivien Leigh. The film showed Elizabeth Short wearing her trademark black dress, posing and smiling. She looked every bit a movie star. She looked into the camera and said,
5: Is it on? Yeah. So I just look into the camera? Yep.
4: Say your name and age and tell us about yourself.
5: Okay. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Short. I'm 22 years old and from Boston. I I live in L.A. now. I'm an actress. I sing and dance and uh, I can do any accent. <laughs> oh I used to be a model. Yeah. I modeled hats. <laughs> uh I love movies. Especially the dramas. And the comedies. <laughs> what else can I tell you? Um I like to laugh. <laughs> There wasn't much for me to laugh at growing up. Even now, sometimes smiling is like crying. Oh, what were we talking about?
1: (laughs) Watching Elizabeth Short talk about herself on screen was like watching a shining star fade into the abyss. Simply put, she was a raven-haired beauty with a broken smile. Oh,
0: There's not much to go on. On the contrary, Watson, I find her screen test most telling.
1: Really? What did you
0: see? Everything. It is my curse.
1: Holmes and I proceeded to the police station, where we met
0: with Captain Donoghue to discuss details of the case.
6: Okay, Sherlock, what have you got for me?
0: I have established that Elizabeth's last known sighting was at the Biltmore Hotel, where she was seen getting into a black sedan with a man.
6: Oh, really? We've got an eyewitness. I said that they saw a black sedan driving away from
0: where Elizabeth's body was dumped at around 6 a.m. She also visited a clinic. Allow me to introduce you. This is my assistant, Dr. Watson.
1: Uh, Pleased to meet you, Captain Donahue.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we found Elizabeth's missing shoe
6: and her handbag. It was uh, found in a trash can outside of a store in Crenshaw, about two miles from the vacant lot where her body was dumped.
1: Holmes examined the city map on the wall where Captain Donoghue had drawn red lines signalling the events of the murder.
0: Judging by the geographical locations of these two sites, the killer would have been travelling north, away from the vacant lot, probably back towards the scene where the actual murder would have taken place. Hmm. Captain, could we see the photos of Elizabeth's body at the crime scene? I'd like Dr Watson's professional medical opinion. There you go. Although I must warn you, it's pretty graphic.
1: Hmm. There's two obvious signs of cause of death here. Go on. Well, look here. See? You have severe cranial damage, which would result in concussion to the brain due to several sharp blows from a blunt instrument. Then you have the shock hemorrhage due to the facial laceration which the killer has carved into her features.
0: A sardonic ear-to-ear grin.
1: The coroner report says that the body was completely drained of blood. Now that explains why the coroner noted the time of death ten hours before the body's discovery.
6: What kind of a sick son of a bitch could do this?
1: A very skilled one. What? It takes a skilled surgeon to invade the human body like this. The procedure used to sever Elizabeth's body is a delicate technique known as a hemicorporectomy. It's when the body is cut in two without breaking a bone.
0: Uh, So you're saying the killer must have some anatomical knowledge?
1: No, I'm saying the killer must be an advanced surgeon skilled in the field.
0: We have
6: been running some background checks on some medical students at the, uh, the University of Southern California.
0: Captain, do you not understand the word advance? Students lack the experience and necessities to pull off this crime. I would not waste time or manpower on this theory.
1: Just then, a police patrolman urgently entered the office. Captain.
4: What is it? We just received this at the front desk.
1: The policeman handed Captain Donahue a small opened package. That the newspaper offices of the Herald Express had received. The contents contained Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, social security card, an address book, some of her personal letters, a few photos, a black handbag and a note with cut out letters from magazines.
6: All right, don't touch nothing. This is from him. Uh,
1: Glover. What does the note say?
0: I will give up in Dahlia killing if I get. Ten years. Don't try to find me. A bargaining killer? Not exactly, Watson. More of an empty gesture. What do you mean? This note is designed to taunt you, and by you I mean the Los Angeles Police Department. The contents of the package undoubtedly proves that this note comes from the genuine killer, as these possessions were all upon Elizabeth's body when she went missing. All right. Uh, Send it all down to
6: forensics. Let's... um... Run it for prints.
0: No, I wouldn't bother, Captain. Can you not smell that pungent odour? Yes, I do. What is it? Gasoline. To get rid of the prince. Well, it will certainly erase any fingerprints, but I deduce that this was not the killer's original intent. No, I think his original objective was to burn the items. So why didn't he? One could speculate, due to all the press coverage, he changed his mind, which means he is both egotistical and extremely confident.
1: Holmes, look at this address book.
0: Ah, well, that certainly confirms his story. What is it? Let me see.
1: Holmes handed the address book to Captain Donoghue. Embroiled on the front cover was the name Mark Hanson.
6: Who's Mark Hanson?
1: He owns the Larchmount Theatre. He was a friend of Elizabeth's. We just came from his cinema.
0: And you didn't think of telling me this? Mark Hanson helped to paint the personality of Elizabeth Short and nothing more. So you don't think he's a suspect? What with his address book being amongst her items? The very reason that his address book is among her items is exactly why I rule him out as her possible killer. Tell me, Captain, if you were the killer, would you send her possessions along with your own address book to the newspapers? I suppose not. But I'm still going to follow up on questioning him. And do what you must, no matter how futile it will be.
1: But why does she have Mark Hanson's address book?
0: Who cares, Watson? Perhaps it was a gift from him. Perhaps she stole it while living with him. His purpose in this case is of no significance other than confirming that there was a relationship between the two of them. You said it yourself. We are looking for a skilled surgeon, which is why tomorrow morning we will visit that clinic in Little Tokyo. <laughs>
1: We arrived at the First Street Clinic just after 9am. However, the owner and head doctor, George Hodel, was not present. After a brief discussion and a subtle threat, mentions of the word murder, the doctor on duty reluctantly directed us to George Hodel's home address. Our cab pulled up outside a very exotic house on Franklin Avenue situated in the middle of Los Angeles. Its architecture was that of a Mayan temple fortress. As we were soon to find out, the house was as eccentric as its owner. The maid opened the door, but before she could speak, a woman abruptly greeted us.
7: Good morning, gentlemen.
1: The woman was Lillian Lenorak. She was a mildly successful actress that also worked as a film editor for General Studios.
7: If you're here to see George, I must
4: warn you, he doesn't see anyone without an appointment.
0: What about if he's suspected of murder? Do you think he'll see me then?
4: Ooh, now you've got my attention.
1: Miss, uh... Lenorak. Lillian Lenorak. Miss Lenorak, uh, we are consulting detectives with the LAPD. It's quite a sensitive issue. If you could please inform Dr. Hodel that it's in his best interest that he talk to us. I'll see what I can do. As she disappeared into one of the many doors in the house, Sherlock began casually looking through letters on a side table.
0: Holmes, what are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? I'm perusing through his mail. You know, you can learn a lot about someone by looking through their mail. Really? Like what? Like that Mr Hodel is interested in art, see? Two flyers here from different gallery exhibits
1: Uh, Maybe it's his wife's interest
0: Unlikely when we consider the exhibits of the two artists in question Salvador Dali and Man Ray Both are male Dada and surrealist artists Dali trampled female admirers and was often known to hit them While Man Ray's work often depicts women as mere objects It is his interest in Man Ray which intrigues me Oh, uh, how so? Man Ray's work reflects his fascination with the female form as raw material Nude and draped women are a staple of art But surrealism often emphasised a transgressive eroticism His paintings and photos would often show nude parts of a woman's body As if they were separated from the subject
1: That is interesting when you consider how Elizabeth's body was found Gentlemen a voice came from behind us, and as we turned around, I noticed Sherlock secretly concealing a small piece of paper from the table into the palm of his hand. The voice in question was none other than Dr George Hodel. He came from an upper-class background, described as a genius, and now a gynaecologist specialising in helping venereal disease patients. Dr. Hodel dramatically appeared from a dark hallway, much like an entrance from one of those black-and-white Hammer horror movies. He was of average height, dappily dressed, with a well-groomed moustache.
7: Miss Lenork tells me you wanted to see me about some murder.
1: Dr. Hodel, I'm Dr. Watson, and this is Sherlock Holmes.
7: Pleased to meet you. I understand you're consulting detectives. Now, this wouldn't have anything to do with the Black Dahlia murder, would it?
1: Uh, as a matter of fact, it does. How did you know?
7: Well, it has been dominating the newspapers and radio lately.
1: Did you know the deceased?
7: The Black Dahlia? No. Elizabeth Short. That's her name. Is it? I wouldn't know. So she never came to your clinic? Not to my knowledge, but then I don't work every shift. I have a second doctor on my staff. It's an unusual house you have here, Mr. Hodell. Dr. Odell. Yes, it was designed by the painter John Soudon. Do you know of his work? No, but what I do know
0: is that contemporary reception of these 1920s Mayan residences was that they were cheaply made. They used concrete blocks in the construction. Huh. So, the Black Dahlia?
1: Yes. uh, As a doctor, I'm sure you must have an opinion on the brutal murder.
7: It's not easy to cut a body in half, especially the way it was described in the papers.
1: Have you had any experience in that kind of surgery?
7: Uh, No, I run a VD clinic. So you're not skilled enough to perform such a task? I trained as a surgeon, so yes, in theory I could do it, but in practice, no, I have not.
0: Every theory requires experience in its framework, otherwise it is merely an empty idea.
1: Holmes was blatantly provoking Dr. Hodel. I watched with
0: great interest as these two intellects sparred. Tell me, Mr. Hodell, does this house have a basement?
7: This house has many rooms, and almost all of them are off-limits.
0: What is it they say? Locked doors express insecurity? Some doors are meant to be kept closed. Indeed, hell is a door that is locked from the inside. I say go to heaven for the climate, but hell for the company. I think you killed Elizabeth Short.
1: A deadly silence lingered in the air. Although I was uncomfortable, Sherlock and George looked very much at ease. Neither of them flinched or showed any response. They both remained silent, staring at each other like they were sizing one another up in a battle of wits.
7: Do you play chess, Mr. Holmes? Of course. Would you like a game?
0: I'm playing right now. I see. I understand
7: your secretary died a few years ago. Yes, a drug overdose. Shame. So hard to find such good help these days.
0: You seem to be a man that likes to entertain. What makes you say this? Everything in this house is by design The paintings hanging on the wall face the doorway Making sure all visitors see them The bay window is theatrically framed With two Victorian lamps on display The antique furniture in this room has not been used The chair cushions have no wear or imprints And although your maid cleans this house daily She overlooks certain furnishings
7: Knowing that they are never used Hence the small dust circles that are formed around them Very impressive, Mr Holmes You could say I am house proud And yes, I do lots of entertaining for LA's rich, famous and powerful care to mention any names Uh, let's just say you would be surprised at my guest list and perhaps even more surprised at the things they do while they're here i'm sure everyone has three lives a public life a private life and a secret life yes and they say you're as sick as your secrets who said that me Well, I'm afraid I have other business to attend to, so, unless there's anything else, I must bid you good day.
0: Well, what do you think? I don't think I know.
1: The maid escorted us out of the eerie residence, and I immediately felt better. There was a dark, disturbing atmosphere from inside that house. As we walked down the driveway, Holmes suddenly stopped. He was looking across to his left.
0: What is it? What model of car did the witness claim to have seen at the crime scene? Uh, a black sedan. And what car is that?
1: Holmes pointed to a garage which had two cars parked in it. One of them being...
0: a black sedan. Thank you, Watson. I'm not so familiar with American cars. Holmes
1: approached the car but then stopped short and made a detour over to a patch of grass situated
0: just off to the side of the vehicle's rear. This soil has been disturbed. Look, the grass has been flattened and some mud has been trodden on.
1: Hmm. Like a weight was rested there before being transported.
0: Do you have a handkerchief?
1: Uh, Yes, of course. Holmes then proceeded to fill the handkerchief
0: with soil. Let's go, Watson. The game is afoot. Get me, Inspector Lestrade. Tell him it's Sherlock Holmes.
1: Yes, sir. Sherlock, I still don't understand why we couldn't have used the phone at the hotel.
0: For the same reason why I'm calling Lestrade and not going to the LAPD for forensic aid. I think this entire town is in one way or another colluding with George Hadell.
1: Some kind of conspiracy. <laughs> really, that's a tad dramatic, don't you think?
0: Lestrade, I'm sending you a soil sample. I've sent it via International Express mail. You should receive it within the next couple of days. Oh, OK. But what's all this about? Goodbye.
1: Wait a minute. Well... For the next three days, Sherlock hardly left the hotel room. He had become obsessed with the Black Dahlia case. The carpet was covered with crime photos, maps and endless newspaper clippings. I'm afraid to say Sherlock had become slightly unhinged. He hardly ate or slept and was always in a foul mood. I, for my part, had become his errand boy, collecting any news that came to print within 24 hours. He had been out only once to the central library, which was to scan old newspapers for any stories relating to George Hodel. Meanwhile, any chances of my Sherlock Holmes novels ever becoming a movie seem to have faded into the abyss like a forgotten Hollywood starlet. I had just come in from having an evening walk to find Sherlock in a state of eager anxiety.
0: Where have you been, Watson?
1: Uh, Well, I...
0: Never mind. Come. It's time. Time? Uh, Time for what? Time to present my case to Captain Donoghue. Are you sure? Yes, yes, of course. The evidence is all here.
1: This evidence, I take it, is in reference to George Hodell as the killer? Well, who else? I'm just saying that LAPD have over 22 suspects.
0: And unless their name is George Hodell, then they are all innocent, of this crime at least. Holmes,
1: I've gone through your work, and I have to say it's convincing... But without a smoking
0: gun, which you lack, then... Can't you see he's trying to mimic Man Ray's work? Man Ray the artist? Yes, look, Man Ray's photo of the minotaur. Look at it. The signs are all there.
1: Holmes handed me Man Ray's minotaur piece. The photo shows the torso of a nude woman's body. Her body is creating the head of a monster, with her nipples as the eyes and her arms its horns. Beauty and monstrosity are made into one, suggesting their projections of our own desires. Do you see it? Uh, yes, Holmes. I, I can see that you're making the link between the black. Dahlia's torso, but...
0: The figure of the Minotaur model is a wellspring or muse of creativity because she herself is irrational and emotional, just as Elizabeth was in life.
1: Well, now, that's a study of semiotics. We're we're not going to be able to convince...
0: Did you notice how George Hodel only referred to Elizabeth as the Black Dahlia? Like she was a piece of art. Yes, but... He's interested in the fame. That's why he has that ridiculous show house. That's why he mixes with Hollywood's elite and that's why he sent that letter. He never wanted to turn himself in. He wanted to keep the story relevant. But that doesn't... To the curious incident of the dog in the Nighttime. What? To the curious incident of the dog in the night time. <sighs> what did the dog do? Nothing. That was the curious incident. I accused George Hodel of murder and his reaction was nothing. Why? Because criminal intent means intelligence, planning and calculation. In his mind, by showing me nothing, he thinks he is unreadable. A blank page. But the fact that he showed nothing was the curious incident. Yes? Hmm. Thank you, Lestrade. What is it? The soil samples I sent him came back positive for human blood.
1: We arrived at the police station a little after seven in the evening. The lobby was blocked with the usual animals of the night. Drunks, prostitutes, gang members. I had never seen Sherlock walk so fast. I myself was struggling to keep up. Ah,
6: Sherlock. Just the guy I want to see. I might have a lead on the Black Dahlia Killer. Don't waste my time. No, listen. There's this guy, Leslie Dillion. He's a bellhop at the Bitmore Hotel, which is one of the last sightings of Elizabeth, right? No, it's not him! Wait, you haven't heard it all yet. So he moves away and then begins writing to our LAPD psychiatrist. He starts asking him all kinds of stuff about uh, the Dahlia murder. He says it's research for some book he's writing. So I do a little digging and get this. He's a former mortician's assistant. So then I... HE'S NOT THE
1: KILLER! An awkward silence followed Sherlock's uncharacteristic outburst.
0: Sherlock, perhaps we should... George Hodel is the killer. George Hodel, the doctor. I see you have heard of him. Well, yeah, he's a name in this town. The Black Dahlia Killer is a person of both skill and great intelligence.
6: I get it, he needs to be a surgeon. We're looking into a few doctors. There's Dr Patrick O'Reilly... Dr. Arthur? No, it's George Hodel. (sighs) Okay,
0: so what makes you think it's Hodel? Well, let's look at his background, shall we? He is the son of Russian emigrants, a musical prodigy by age seven, playing at concerts at the Shrine Auditorium. His IQ is higher than Albert Einstein. Whoa, how high is his IQ? 186. That's impressive. Yes, fortunately, mine is 190. I digress. Now, George attended Berkeley College at 15 and eventually became a physician working as the chief medical officer for the city of Los Angeles. He married a well-connected Hollywood beauty and befriended artistic influences such as the surrealist man Ray.
6: Yeah, I get it. The guy's a snob. He's rich, intelligent, and hangs out with hipsters. But none of this gives us an indictment.
0: Ah, but the hipsters that you refer to do indirectly indicate him. What do you mean? George was a big admirer of the artist Man Ray. His work reflects parts of women's bodies, and I've surmised that George wanted to create art, pushing the boundaries of surrealism, and thus he created his own still-life art form, the Black Dahlia.
1: Life imitating art.
6: Listen, I hear you, but it's still circumstantial at best. I need something conclusive. He moved the body parts in cement
0: bags. A day before Elizabeth's body was displayed at Limert Park, George purchased cement in £50 bags. Here's the receipt. I managed to pocket it when I was in his house. Now, you add this theory to the fact that I have a positive sample of human blood found in the soil on his property, I would say that's a strong case for probable cause. Wouldn't you, Detective? How'd you get the soil sample verified? I've sent it to Inspector Lestrade in Scotland Yard. No offence, but the Los Angeles Police Department is dirty. This is not a secret, but more of an unspoken truth, so people can continue to operate under these corrupt circumstances. George is well-connected. His party guest list attests to this. I have no doubt that he has performed abortions for the rich, famous, political and officers of the law. Nobody wants to touch him because of what he knows. He is the ultimate blackmailer. Why? Because he doesn't have to use it. Now, I do not believe that every police precinct in Los Angeles is corrupt, or at least there are certain individuals that are trying to maintain justice. This is why I've come to you, Captain Donoghue.
1: Captain Donoghue stared at Sherlock for a brief moment in silence. He then snatched the receipt from Sherlock's hand and walked into his office, where he proceeded to make a phone call.
0: Once they get a warrant to search Hodel's house of horrors, I'm sure there will be an abundance of incriminating evidence.
1: I said nothing. Sherlock looked possessed, a man falling ever deeper into a rabbit hole, haunted by the Black Dahlia. Then Captain
6: Donoghue returned. I'm afraid we've been asked to stand down. What? By
0: who? Somebody with a higher pay grade. Sorry. I don't understand. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable must be the truth. Uh, Sherlock, we don't know. I know she was only 5 foot 6. I know she weighed approximately 118 pounds. And I know that she was once named Cutie of the Week at her former employment. I know that she was so destitute that she couldn't afford to visit the dentist and was filling cavities in her mouth with candle wax. And I know that all signs point to an agonising long death at the hands of a maniac. So don't tell me what I don't know.
1: Sherlock stormed out of the police station, and I knew in that moment that I had lost my friend, for he would not give up. His obsession for the truth would surely push him to madness. What we know and what we do not know is what makes both Elizabeth's short, the story, the myth, and the fame. Amongst her possessions were her letters, telling of a tentative meetings with agents and producers in Hollywood. It's tragic because it's hard to be sure who she wants to deceive most, their recipients or herself. Could she have been a movie star? We will never know. Instead, her life story begins at its end, in January 1947. It had been two years since Sherlock and I had parted ways. I sat alone in the Baker Street residence over the years I'd gotten used to the isolation. Since the case of the Black Dahlia, there had been a string of amateur-style copycats in the States. One being the Red Lipstick Murderer that had the initials B.D. written on her body with red lipstick. This reignited the frenzy in the Black Dahlia case.
2: See,
3: hey, Dr. Watson. Uh,
1: yes, please, Mrs. Hudson.
3: Did you see that case about the Hollywood actor in the paper today? Made me think of Sherlock. Do you think he's still in Hollywood?
1: What, Doctor? Where? There, look! It was a picture of George Hodel. He was being accused of molesting his 14-year-old daughter. Three witnesses testified at trial that they had seen Hodel having sex with his daughter. However, despite these allegations, Hodel was later acquitted. In the same year, I read an article about an unknown British detective living in L.A. who had managed to bug Hodel's house. The unnamed private detective was no mystery to me. Amongst the many recordings the detective had collected was a conversation where Hodel said...
7: Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. (laughs) This is the best payoff I've seen between law enforcement agencies. And I'd like to get a connection in the DA's office.
1: But once again, nothing happened. The following year, Lillian Lenorak was found in George Hodel's house, having attempted to commit suicide. But her police statement gave a very different impression. For whatever reason, she wanted to recant her testimony she gave defending George during his trial. She wanted to tell the DA investigators the truth that she had lied. In an interview with a magazine, Lillian said she went to George Hodel's house with the intention of shooting him. She said,
4: I wanted to make him pay for killing Elizabeth
1: Short. However, upon George Hodel's return home that afternoon, Lillian said she was disarmed, beaten, drugged, and while unconscious, Hodel superficially cut both her wrists and then bandaged them, staging her attempted suicide. Lillian Lenorak's acting career actually began to flourish after this incident Until nine years later, when she was tragically murdered in a completely unrelated event She was killed in Palm Springs, in which the killer was soon arrested I know what Holmes would have said
0: If you surround yourself with evil, expect it to one day come calling
1: by 1950, the Black Dahlia case was abruptly shut down. The evidence of the audio tape recordings of George Hodel just disappeared. And then Hodel himself went missing. He had fled the country and relocated to the Philippines, where he remarried and began a new life.
2: Police Chief Clements Harrell resigned today after the threat of a grand jury investigation... The
1: The LAPD was a dirty department, rocked by scandals involving cops and gangsters, prostitutes and payoffs. If any good came out of Elizabeth Short's murder, it was the complete reform of the Los Angeles Police Departments. In early June of 1967, I received an envelope that had postmark from the Philippines. The envelope contained a single newspaper clipping. It was in English from a local Philippine newspaper. It was a story about a Filipino woman named Lucilla Lalu whose body was found mutilated. The lower portion of her body was found near a river and the upper torso was found in a park, but her head was never found. The press had named the crime the Jigsaw Murder. In the article, it said the victim had gone to an American doctor three days before she went missing. The words American doctor were circled in pen. That was the first and last form of communication I ever received from Sherlock. The year was 1999, and I had long since left the residence of Baker Street. Mrs Hudson had sadly passed away some time ago. I had decided to live out my retirement in Scotland. My novels had finally been adapted into a British television series. I would spend my Friday nights watching and reliving the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. During one such night I was flicking through the television when I came to a news piece on unsolved murders. The mystery in question was the Black Dahlia crime. I had missed most of the show, but it was in its closing segment which piqued my
7: interest. The prime suspect in this case, George O'Dell, returned from the Philippines earlier this year and has since occupied this high-rise apartment in San Francisco. Earlier this week, the 91-year-old was admitted to hospital. The truth behind the Black Dahlia
1: I stared at the blank TV screen for a moment. George Hodel was still alive. For all the crimes that had conveniently circled around him, he had never once been convicted of any. He had lived and will now die an innocent man. That night, I could not sleep. I had to know that my dear friend had not wasted his life in vain. I arrived in San Francisco in the afternoon, and headed directly to the hospital. I located Hodel's room with ease. As Sherlock had taught me in these situations, act like you belong, so I brought no attention to myself. I looked down at the frail man before me. He wore an oxygen mask and although his face was much finer, framed with a grey beard and white hair, he still looked very much the same. It had begun to rain outside and the build-up of condensation clouded the bedside window. I leaned across him and gently said, George, can you hear me? His eyes fluttered for a moment before eventually opening. He looked at me curiously There was a look of incomprehension, and yet recognition. Dr Hodel, I need to know, did you do it? His eyes slowly widened, and then he extended his index finger towards the steamed pane glass. He began to write. He wrote only two letters on the window, B, and D, the infamous shorthand for Black Dahlia. As I moved closer towards the window, I could see a misty figure standing outside, perfectly positioned between the B and D. It was an old man, leaning to one side, supported by his walking stick, smoking a calabash pipe and wearing a deer stalker hat. Sherlock. He tipped his hat to me and then slowly hobbled away into the distance. Sherlock Holmes had lived his life through brain work and one couldn't imagine his life without it. So even when he was wrong, he was
5: right.